Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look at how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, we're taking a closer look at the 852 ISA millionaires on the Interactive Investor platform. We're gonna take a look at where they invest their money, when they invest, and their top holdings. Hopefully, you'll be able to take some tips away for your own portfolio. As ever, please remember that these aren't personal recommendations. With me in the studio is Interactive Investor's Sam Benstead to help pick through the numbers. So Sam, let's start off with how many years it would take to become an ISA millionaire and how realistic is it? So these ISA millionaire calculations all rely on a few factors. So the first one is how much you invest monthly. And then you've got to look at your starting pot size. And then you've got to look at your annual return. You put those things together and you change, uh, you change the elements and then you can come out with a figure of how long it would take to become a nicer millionaire. So let's run through some of those numbers. You started with 10 grand and you put away 300 pounds a month with an annual return of 6%, which is about what the UK or, or US stock market has delivered over the long term. Then it would take you 47 years to become a nicer millionaire. Those same calculations, but with just £100 a month, means that it would take you 61 years to get there. If the returns increased and you were getting 8% a year, which is a bit more aggressive, starting with £10,000 and investing £100 a month, then it would be 48 years to get you there. And if you were getting 10% returns, then it would take you 40 years to get there with £100 monthly investments. If you had invested in Fundsmith, which has delivered 15.5% return since it launched about 10 years ago, and you started with 10 grand and put in 100 pounds a month, then it would take you 28 years to get there. Obviously, there's no guarantee that Terry Smith will keep delivering such amazing returns. If you started with a bigger pot, say 100 grand, and you got 8% a year, then it would take you 30 years to hit the 1 million pound mark. If you were getting 6% a year with that 100 grand start, starting pot, then it would take you 40 years to get there. So obviously it would all vary on what you put in and what returns you get. But I think the important thing to recognize here is that it can be done over long periods for patient investors, so long as they stick at their investment approach. It is some achievement to reach seven figures. And as you uh, mentioned, Sam, the, the most powerful factor is the, you know, what, what the returns are. The higher those annual returns are, the shorter the timescale is to become an ISA millionaire. Um, and I think from you know, 2010 to 2020, it was a very favorable market backdrop for um, investors. So that, that was a real good opportunity to supercharge um, your returns. I'd say from 2020 onwards, this next decade is, you know, a lot of commentators have said that it's potentially going to be a period of lower investment returns. Now, the ISA allowance it is at 20,000 a year, and that's been the case since April 2017. So compared to 10 years ago and, um, and also April 1999, when the ISA allowance was introduced, or when the ISA was introduced in its, you know, in its present form, back then, the annual allowance was 7,000. So nowadays you can put more money into an ISA. So that also makes it a bit more easier than it was back in 1999 in order to get anywhere sort of near the sort of seven figure mark. 
as, as we all know, the ISA, it's a fantastic savings vehicle. You, you don't pay tax on any income or capital gains made. And also, if you're lucky enough to reach seven figures, there's no lifetime allowance tax to be worried about paying, um, as is the case with pensions. And I do hope that in the forthcoming budget, that uh, politicians leave the allowances where they are. But as I've mentioned before in a previous episode on this podcast, which is complete speculation on my part, I do think the ISA allowance is an easy target um, for the government to try and raise some tax revenue. But I'm not going to ramble on about that in this episode. And instead, we will return to the current crop of ISA millionaires. So Sam, the overall numbers of ISA millionaires in Britain, it's unknown. But as we are the second biggest investment platform, we do have plenty of them. Has the past year's stock market turbulence resulted in the number of ISA millionaires reducing? Yeah, so there has been a bit of a drop over the past year. So as of the 31st of January this year, there are 852 ISA millionaires. And that figure 12 months ago was 983. So we're still above the 731 there were at the start of 2021. But there has been a drop. That will be due to falling stock markets. While global and US shares measured in pounds were roughly flat over this period, high growth shares fell spectacularly. So anybody holding Scottish mortgage, which would have been a lot of these ISA millionaires, lost 25% of their money in that trust during that 12-month period. And I think that just underlines how if you take a lot of risk to get to a million, you are quite vulnerable. You may get there faster, but a 25% drop in a year is a big move. At one point, Scottish mortgage was down 50%. So it is it is risky if you are trying to rush your way to a million and actually going slow and steady is probably a more sensible strategy to get there. The average age of the ISA millionaires on the II platform is 73. So I think that backs that up. They spent a lot of time trying to get there and actually you know, they're not doing it in their 40s or 50s, they're doing it in their 70s. And most of these people would have started out with the personal equity plans or PEPs back in the 1990s. So patience is key, I think, and not taking too much risk is also a big part of that. And in terms of when ISA millionaires invest, um, our data shows that ISA millionaires, they're almost as likely to be tax year early birds as they are to join the last minute ISA rush. But I think you know, in terms of being an early bird or, you know, investing towards the end of the tax year, you know, the benefits of investing your ISA allowance at the start of the tax year, they can be significant. And, you know, if the longer you have your money in the market, you know, if, you, if you're investing at the start of a tax year rather than the end, then you're getting an additional year in the market. And, you know, providing that the stock market's going up, then that will be beneficial to your ISA investments. And Interactive Investor have um, crunched numbers on this in the past. So if you invest at the maximum ISA allowance of £20,000 at the start of each tax year, so from the 6th of April, then your portfolio will be worth £264,136 after 10 years. Now, and that's assuming a 5% return after charges. And that would be um, just over 12500 more than investors who choose to invest the same £20,000 at the end of each tax year as they will effectively only have nine years' worth of growth. Now, of course, not everyone can afford to be an early bird um, ISA investor and max out the allowance straight away. You know, a sum of £20,000, it is significant. So for most people, Sam, I think the, 
the message here is, you know, a regular monthly investment that allows you to drip feed money into the ISA, it is more feasible. And of course, this approach, it also gives you peace of mind. That's right. Investing monthly is a great way of investing, particularly with II, where trades are free on a regular monthly investing plan. Because when you invest monthly, when shares fall, you're actually getting more shares for your money than when they rise. So actually, it means you're leaning into market drops and you're leaning away from periods when the market is going up and might get a little bit frothy. Another really important thing about monthly investing plans is it means that you are on autopilot. So you're not trying to time the market, put money away every single month. And like I said, you're benefiting from buying more when shares go down. And actually to do that yourself, to try and find the bottom of the market and to, to pull money out when, when the market goes up, that's really, really hard to do. And very few people can do it well. Um, it takes a lot of a lot of research is what the professionals tried to do, but actually for, for regular DIY investors, just putting your portfolio on autopilot and investing the same amount every month is, is one of the most powerful things that you can do. I also think it instills a long-term mindset when you're investing. If it's just part of your regular outgoings, it means that it becomes a habit, very much like paying other subscription services, and it means you're, you're dedicated to investing over long periods. Yeah, that's completely spot on. Um, you know, it, it also removes um, emotion as well, you know, you, you, and also trying to time the market, which as you mentioned, Sam, it's um, notoriously difficult to do. Not even professional investors can successfully do it consistently. We're now going to move on to where ISA millionaires invest. So um, one of the, the key trends that um, amongst the interactive investor ISA millionaires is a preference for investment trusts over open-ended funds. And in the top 10 holdings among ISA millionaires are Alliance Trust and Scottish Mortgage. I mean, for me, it, 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 you know, this, this isn't a surprising finding because I, you know, I think investment trusts, they have certain structural advantages that private investors can then use to their advantage. In particular, you know, a real strength that investment trusts have is the um, ability to put away up to 15% of income generated by the underlying investments each year. Um, so what this means is that during lean periods, such as the pandemic and also the global financial crisis, investment trust boards can then decide, can dip into those reserves and then either maintain or increase dividend payouts. I think for long-term investors that are looking to reinvest income or even or even those that are um, using the income to, to fund their lifestyles, such as at retirement. So in other words, they're taking the income. I think investment trusts, they are much more consistent than open-ended funds. And I think that is, for me, that's one of the main attractions that investment trusts have, which income seekers um, should use to their advantage. Amongst individual um, stocks, there is, a, there is a preference amongst the ISA millionaires for big FTSE 100 blue chip names many of which you know, typically do pay dividends. And amongst the most widely held stocks are Shell, GlaxoSmithKline, banks as well, um, including Lloyd's, um, BP's there as well, um, Illegal in general. So it's, it's household names that are you know, within the FTSE 100, um, they're seen as being reliable dividend payers. What are your overall thoughts, Sam? Sam are there any other trends from the data that you've seen? One more thing I'd, I'd highlight is that 91% of, um, of ISA millionaire portfolios were exposed to the UK, and that's up 88% on last year. So I think it just shows how UK shares have actually done quite well. So you've seen a natural increase 
in their value, but also how UK shares tend to be big dividend players. But also how UK shares tend to be big dividend players. They're established companies, the ones that these ISA millionaires are investing in. And because they're probably, well, because they're very likely to be in retirement, actually, investing in blue chips names is a sensible thing to do. They're not chasing growth anymore. So they've pivoted their portfolios perhaps to a more, um, more established companies with, with dividends that they know they can rely on. And Sam, you recently spoke to one of Interact Investors' ISA millionaires. Um, the person didn't want to be named, but they were happy to chat you through their approach on their journey to become an ISA millionaire. So what did you learn from speaking to that person? That's right. I had a great chat with one of our ISA millionaires. And it's always really interesting speaking to individual, individual investors and learning about their journeys. But this one was particularly fascinating. So it took them about 30 years to get there, just over. They achieved it in 2021. And they got there by investing when they could, as much as they could. So some years they couldn't invest. They have a family and kids. But when they could invest, they were buying big investment trusts with diversified global portfolios. So the three key investment trusts for them were FNC, which is a global trust, Alliance Trust, which is, is popular with other ISA millionaires, and of course, Scottish Mortgage. One of the really interesting, one of the really interesting things from this conversation was that their mindset, their investment psychology, was fundamental to them hitting one million. So one of the things that really stood out for me was they said, "I've always found big uplifts in performance more worrying than big stock market declines." So from the day that they started investing, they saw falls as great times to invest and nothing to be worried about and periods when markets got out of hand and there perhaps were bubbles as worrying and a reason to pull money out or expect uh, less returns in the future. And I think that is really, really special. Not many people look at markets that way. Actually, people have the opposite approach. When things fall, they get nervous and take money out. And when things go up, they get excited and put more money in. Whereas actually the opposite is, is the right thing to do. And that's why the pound cost averaging, the regular savings every month is such a powerful way of getting over that, that bias that we all have. There were also some satellite investment trusts that they were buying. So BlackRock Energy and Resources was one, Henderson Smaller Companies, BlackRock Throgmorton. There were also some emerging market trusts in there. So I think the messages have a core allocation to big diversified investment trusts, but also play around with some satellite holdings as well in perhaps some more exciting areas. This investor has also started moving into AIM shares recently, mainly for inheritance tax reasons. Um, and they got a bit lucky as well. They said they sold a big chunk of their Scottish mortgage holdings at the end of 2021 to buy a second property. And that was just before the market crashed in technology shares. So I think the message is persistence, a bit of luck, but overall keep investing when, when things go down and actually get more confident when things go down. Well, that sounded like a very interesting conversation you had, and I think that's provided listeners with plenty of food for thought. I think it's interesting that in terms of his collective exposure, you know, it's all investment trusts. And um, I also understand there was no passives as well, and there was no bonds. That's right, yeah, just investment trusts and um, some individual shares. So recently, AIM shares, but he also held Diageo and AstraZeneca for, for 30 years as well. He said buying high-quality shares and letting them letting them work away and, and compound was, was another part of his success. Now, probably the most famous ISA millionaire is Lord John Lee, who was a minister in Margaret Thatcher's government in the 80s. 
So he's living proof that serious wealth can be made from tucking away money in stocks and shares ices. So he's now Lord Lee of Trafford and a Liberal Democrat. And he claims to have become Britain's first ISA millionaire in 2003. And he achieved this by investing the maximum amount that could be put into ISAs and their predecessors, personal equity plans, known as PEPs. Each year, PEPs were launched in 1987. Now, um, myself and Sam, we've both separately interviewed Lord Lee um, in a previous role when we both worked at um, the Daily Telegraph. And when he declared that he had £1 million in his ISA, he says he invested about 126000 into the ISA wrapper to achieve £1 million through capital growth and dividend reinvestment. And when I interviewed him, I mean, this was back in 2015, he told me his investment approach is simple. It's to buy established, profitable businesses that pay dividends and then reinvest those dividends. And that was just one of his top tips for ISA's success was reinvesting dividends. Um, he made the point that, after all, this is where the majority of the returns come from, from the stock market. So his message was, unless you need to take the income, then reinvest the dividends, which is a um, very sound advice in my view. And he also gave a couple of other ISA tips, um, including you know, buy and hold, avoid businesses with debt. And um, he also mentioned to me, you know, don't worry about the FTSE 100's up and downs. It's important to play the long game and reinvest dividends. And he's, he achieved this through investing directly in shares. And um, there was a lot of um, exposure to smaller company shares. He doesn't buy funds. And he's not a fan of active funds because he feels that he wants to be in control. Um, you know, he thinks that you know, if you buy an active fund, there is the chance of disappointment. And that is, of course, true. When you buy an active fund manager, you do not know in advance whether or not they will outperform the wider stock market and whether or not they will outperform rival active fund managers. Were there any other um, things that you, you picked up, Sam, when you separately interviewed Lord John Lee? The thing that stood out for me was that he said, investing well isn't complicated. You haven't got to be very intelligent to do, to do it, but you do need a strong mind. You have got to commit to stocks and hold them through periods of, of poor performance and actually invest more in them. And he's been amazing at doing that. He's held companies for, for long, long periods. But I think for the average investor, sticking with individual companies and trying to practice what he preaches wouldn't be practical. I know I wouldn't be able to do it if I saw my portfolio go down a third or, or half in a year, then maybe half again, just because of poor stock selection, even though I believe that over 10 years, 20 years, these companies would be winners. I don't think I'd be able to hold on. So I'd agree with the ISA millionaire that I spoke to when they say that actually picking a few diversified investment trusts, sticking with them, you know, investing when, when you can, but try to invest more when markets go down. For me, that's that's the best way of getting to a million, unless you're a, a superstar investor like, like Lord Lee. I completely agree with all of that, Sam. We're now going to take a quick look at um, what the top performing fund sectors have been since ISAs were launched in April 1999. So I ran the numbers for this on um, FE Fund Info. And the, what it shows is that, as, as, as you would expect, really, what you'd hope to expect, the more adventurous strategies are the ones that have retained the most over that 20-year-plus time period. So the top three sectors. So first one is India. So investors here achieved an around a 20-fold um, return on their investments. 
Then in second and third place are healthcare and China. Both those fund sectors have delivered on average around a tenfold return. And also towards the top of the sector performance tables are smaller companies. So European smaller companies, North American smaller companies, UK smaller companies, they all notably outperformed funds that invest in larger companies. And you know, over the very long term, it's a really powerful investment trend is smaller companies as outperformance of larger companies. And there's plenty of logic behind the argument. You know, smaller companies, they have higher potential for growth. And as the late Jim Slater said, elephants don't gallop. Um, and this part of the market, one of the reasons why investors can gain an edge and receive you know, re- long-term returns that are higher than larger companies is because smaller companies are less intensively researched by analysts. And so this gives both you know, direct investors and also fund managers who invest in smaller companies greater chance to gain an edge. And I do think it is one of the areas where it is worth paying for active fund management, their ability to, to find tomorrow's potential superstar stocks. And to conclude the episode, we've run through um, you know, lots of in- interesting insights and, and tips on how um, the ISA millionaire investors, how they invest, when they invest. Sam, let's summarize what the successful habits and traits are to be a successful investor. I'd start with consistency. And if you're consistent, it means that you're buying more shares when they fall and fewer when they rise. And that is the right way of investing. So consistency can be achieved by setting up a regular investing plan. It's free with II and it really is an intelligent way of putting your money to work. The other top tip, it goes against what Lord Lee preaches. He talks about buying individual shares that have got you know established businesses and family ownership and holding them through thick and thin. I wouldn't suggest people do that. I think actually the right way of investing to get to that millionaire figure over a long period is to stick with investment trusts and to stick with big global investment trusts as the core of a portfolio and then adding satellite positions in more racy areas like emerging markets or energy around that. That means that you're going to get a steady return or hopefully get a steady return most years. So over long periods with consistent investing you'll be able to get to that magic million figure. I think they're two great points, Sam. I mean, two, two further points from me. I mean, you, we've, we've, you know, you've touched on it, but you know, diversification is obviously very important, but I think it's important to not over-diversify. So I think it's important to not have 50, 60, 70 different um, holdings. It's really important that the funds or investment trusts that you have, that they're offering something unique to the party. You know, I think... If you buy five or six UK funds, the danger is that you risk unwittingly replicating the market, which can be achieved much more cheaper through a passive fund, an index fund or an ETF. And it's been spoken about a lot on this episode is the power of dividends and the power of reinvesting dividends. It really does make an enormous difference to long-term investment growth as the effect of compounding works its magic. Um, So compound growth refers to the way that investment returns themselves generate gains. And this effect, it becomes even more powerful when compounding is bolstered by the reinvestment of dividends. And for fund investors, the important thing is to pick the right share class. So if you want to try and benefit from the wonder of compound interest, you don't need the income being paid to you, then pick the AC share class, which stands for accumulation. 
So if you pick this share class, what it'll do is it'll reinvest the income generated by the fund's underlying investments back into the fund. Thank you, Sam, for joining me today. And thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please follow the show in your podcast app and tell a friend about it. And if you get a chance, leave us a review or a rating in your podcast app too. You can join the conversation, ask questions, and tell us what you would like us to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website, ii.co.uk. See you next week.